If you have a Bible, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Somebody asked why this text. It's because of Pastor Greg's teachings the last couple weeks on Haggai about another shaking coming. I don't know what you think that may be. I do believe it's going to be more for the unbeliever in the sense of the unbelieving world. I believe the first shaking was for the church. But then I received a couple emails, actually one from somebody that doesn't even attend here, and the other person might, I don't know, but I received a couple emails about uh, this passage. So I looked at it and I began to realize some things that I'd never realized before. Let me give you some historical context of this passage. Second Timothy was written as Paul is sitting in a Roman prison in 66 AD for the second time. The first time is he appealed to Caesar when the Jews accused him, and he went and basically was under house arrest, even though most of us would still complain about that and not write half the scriptures in that context. But now he is in prison for a second time. He was released. Most people believe he probably went to Spain. He traveled a little bit. And then under Nero, when the persecution of the church began, Paul was rearrested, and now he's sitting in prison knowing that he's going to die for his faith. That's the context of this passage. And Nero was one of the most infamous Roman emperors. Nero Claudius Caesar. He ruled for 14 years. And I think it's very interesting if you study the Caesars, matter of fact, if you study empires, how quickly they disappear when you think of the grand scheme of things, you know, and how quickly something like Hitler proclaiming the Third Reich was going to last a thousand years, it lasted 14. God sits in the heavens many times and laughs, it says, at those that scheme against him. And many of the, the Caesars only ruled two or three years. Matter of fact, the two that, that are after Nero, Vespasian and Titus, both ruled a couple of years. Titus is the one that is attributed to the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD. And then after him, um, another emperor came, and he was one of the most ruthless him and, and Trajan were two of the, the emperors that persecuted terribly the church. But, but Nero died by suicide after a 14-year reign. He also he was known for his murder of his mother, his first wife, his stepbrother, his second wife. His first wife happened to be a stepsister. Yuck. And the fact that his dad was his uncle. If you want to study something, study the Herods in the Scripture. Study the Caesars. He, he was one that burned down three of the 14 boroughs of Rome. And that's why the, the term Rome burned as Nero fiddled. He loved music, so he actually played the lyre. And he blamed the Christians for burning down Rome. Fourteen boroughs, seven were damaged, three were destroyed, and they said he did it so that he could build a palace structure where people, were, the poor people were living. And he blamed it on the Christians. So he tortured, persecuted, and killed Christians. And Paul makes no mention of him. 
I find that interesting. No mention of him. Matter of fact, he says in 1 Timothy, pray for those in power. Guess who's in power? Nero. And we complain about our political situation. Just put it in context, everybody. Put it in context as believers. Anyway, another topic. Let's read 1 Timothy chapter 3. You should know this. This is a theme of the chapter. Paul tells Timothy numerous times, you should know what's going on. You should know this. He says, in the last days there will be difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful, proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to parents, ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving, unforgiving. They will slander others, have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends. They will be reckless. They will be puffed up with pride. They will love pleasure rather than loving God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that makes them godly. Stay away from these people. The hypocrisy of that. He's not stay, stay away from evil people. Stay away from those that proclaim to be believers, but in their hypocrisy, they won't live by the Holy Spirit. They are the kind that work their way into people's homes, win the confidence of vulnerable women who are burdened with guilt, controlled by various desires. So another characteristic is they'll be full of lust. These teachers are the ones who oppose the truth, just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, and they, and they have depraved minds and counterfeit faith. They won't get away with it for long. Someday everyone will recognize what fools they are, just as with Janus and Jambres. Verse 12, 10 shifts. And I think sometimes we only read the first part of, of 2 Timothy 3 and we focus on the last days. It shifts. But you, Timothy... Certainly know what I teach, how I live, what my purpose in life is. You know my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance. You know how much persecution I suffered and have endured. You know that the Lord rescued me from it all. Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's a very popular topic in the church today. It's a joke. But evil people and imposters will flourish. They will deceive others and themselves will be deceived. But you must remain faithful to the things you've been taught. You know they are true, for you know they can be trusted and those who taught you, from those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. They have given you wisdom to receive salvation that comes by trusting not in yourself, as Pastor Dustin said, but trusting in Jesus Christ. And then the famous Scripture that we've all quoted if we've been a Christian very long, all Scripture is inspired by God or God-breathed and is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our life, it corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it, the Scripture, to prepare us and equip His people for every good work. The characteristics of the last days. And I think we, we talked about it in a teaching team. It's, it's strange some of the characteristics of these last days. Disobedient to parents. How I many know that's been a problem for a long time? Not just, anybody here ever been disobedient to your parent? 
But Paul says it's a characteristic, if you shook your head, no, you're a liar. And uh, anyway, but it says, listen to this, troubling, terrible, perilous times will come. It's the idea of vexing, where something is pushed in, where you feel pressure. Anybody ever live in a place where you felt vexed in your soul, that you felt pressure? You could literally, there was places where I've been where you fly in, you could almost feel the canopy of darkness. And I'm not spooky, weird like that, but you could sense it. There was that vexing spirit. Think about it in the in the context of Paul's circumstances, though, he is in prison about ready to die for his faith. Probably 18 months later, a couple years later, he's going to die for his faith. And he says these times that are coming are going to be terrible. People will love themselves and their money. They'll be boastful, proud, disobedient, scoffers. They'll be disobedient to parents. They'll care about nothing that is holy or sacred. There's a couple times, once in the minor prophets, once in the major prophets, where it says there'll come a time where people consider that which is holy profane, that which is profane holy. That is definitely a characteristic of what we see right now. Ungrateful, unholy, unforgiving, characteristic They'll be marked by betrayal, which I believe is one of the strongest statements in this, that people will be marked, they'll be betraying others. And if you've ever seen a godless society, what happens is people begin to turn on one another. There's this, they feel betrayed, so they betray others. They feel um, like they've been wrong, so they will wrong others. They'll be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Full of hypocrisy, they act like believers but deny God's power, deny the Holy Spirit. And then he gives an example, which I think is very, very interesting. Stay with me, I'm laying a foundation. He mentions two people that are the sorcerers that oppose Moses, Janus and Jambres. They're not mentioned in the book of Exodus. They're not mentioned anywhere in Scripture, but they're in rabbinical teaching. And most scholars believe that these are the names of two people. But what is interesting, and it's not mentioned, but the sorcerers that opposed Moses were Jews themselves in Pharaoh's court. And when Moses throws, or Aaron throws down his staff, it turns into a snake. These two guys throw down their staff, and it turns into a snake. But Moses' staff swallows up the other staff. They, Moses tells Aaron, Aaron turns the Nile and all the water into blood. They turn the Nile into blood. There's a plague of frogs. They turn this nation into... That frogs, if you remember the story, were everywhere. But that's when it stopped. But I, what I want to point out is these were two people that were raised as Jews, and yet they become part of the sorcery in Pharaoh's court. And what Paul is saying is not so much about their sorcery, but about their betrayal. David says, the one I've eaten with, he's speaking about Ahithophel, who turns on him. Ahithophel was actually, if you study it, is Bathsheba's grandfather, so you understand why he turned on David. But Ahithophel turns against David, and then Jesus quotes it as a 
that one that I ate with, the one that I supped with, the one that I spent time with is now turned against me. I think one of the greatest tragedies in, in, in Christianity is the betrayal that happens in the church. And what do we do with betrayal? We try to oppose it, and Paul, Paul is telling Timothy, just stop it. God's going to deal with them. God's got that under control. Anybody here ever been betrayed? You try to fight back and what happens? You look more like the fool than they do. But if we trust God, I trust the sovereign God. He has my best interest in mind. And I, you know, none of us wake up and go, oh, I want to be betrayed and rejected today. It's awesome. It's the thing I look forward to the most. Why is divorce so bad, so hurtful? Why does it destroy? Because of the betrayal that's involved. That somebody is saying, I don't love you anymore, I want somebody else, or I don't love you anymore, I just don't want you. And if you're in that situation, I want to encourage you, don't try to fight that battle on your own. Trust God. Say, God, how do you do it? You do what David did. God, hamstring their horses, bust out their teeth. That's a, that's a scripture, that's Psalms. He's literally saying, God, this is what I want to do. I want to get back at them. I want to take matters into my own hands. But then he comes down later on in that psalm and says, but Lord, forgive me, deal with them. And I think, I tell people all the time, the only way you deal with anger, especially anger that comes through betrayal, is this. You are honest. God's not shocked by your honesty. He knows your heart. He knows what you're going to say before you speak it. Just be honest. Get, get away with the Lord sometime and say, God, I'm so mad. I'm so angry at that. I don't like what happened to me or my family or whatever, my business. But Lord, I trust you. You deal with them. And guess what's going to happen? God will deal with them. Everybody's going to have a day of judgment. But I don't rejoice, God, get them. It's God have mercy on them. Why? Because he's had mercy on me. Follow me? But the shift is really this. Paul tells Timothy in the New Living Bible four times, you know. Verse 10, but you, Timothy, certainly know what I teach, how I live, and what my purpose in life is. I have people all the time when they're wanting to do their own thing. I had a good friend. He actually died of COVID. Very, very good friend friend, pastor, friend of mine, used to always say people sending their brains out. It was a good, good uh, illustration. But when people want to send their brains out and you go to them and plead with them, they always say, I don't know, I don't know, or I, I don't realize that, or I don't want to do that. I want to tell you something. In our heart of hearts, I believe we know. Romans 1 says that even the person that's never had the gospel preached to him knows Knows what? That there's a God of creation. There's a God that they're accountable to. And when we deny the existence of God, what we're saying is, I don't want to be accountable, so I'll just deny it. And when we don't want to be accountable of our actions, we deny that we even knew that was wrong or we don't care that that's wrong. Paul tells Timothy, you know what I've taught, Timothy. You know how I've lived, Timothy. And you say, well, I don't know Paul. You understand his scripture. He's about ready to die, and he's saying, I'm willing to lay my life down. Ecclesiastes is a book that's very sad in so many respects. Solomon literally was the wisest man that's ever lived, save Jesus. He said, I set my mind to do whatever I wanted to. He had 
a thousand different women. To put it in perspective, he could almost sleep with a different woman every night for three years, two and a half years. He said, I didn't, I didn't, anything that came in that was to my imagination, I did. And then he says, at the end of Ecclesiastes, he comes to this. And it, it, is, a, it is something that, is tried to, that I've tried to guide my life by. He says, now that all has been heard, and the conclusion of the matter is this. Listen, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all humankind. Fear God and keep his commandments. We make it so different. And by the way, what commandment God is dealing with you right now on and what God is dealing with me right now on may be different. He may deal, be dealing with an attitude in my heart and he may be dealing with something else in you. And the danger throughout church history is this. Because I am in leadership, I tell you how you must be dealt with by the God. And if you don't raise to my standard, then you can't be part of my group. It's happened over and over and over and over again. But what happens is this. You get alone with God. You find out what he's dealing with you on. Fear God. The fear of God is not just that we are in awe of him. If Jesus walked through the door, I say it all the time, we wouldn't go up and slap him on the back and say, hey, bro, what's happening? We'd be on our face because of his glory. But to fear God is not just that we would be on our face. The fear of God is this. God is constantly with me. Wherever I go, his, his spirit is promised to be with me. He doesn't stop at a door if I'm going into sin. He doesn't jump off the bumper if I'm driving 10 miles over. But we think that all the time, that somehow God jumps in and out of our life according to our behavior. I want to tell you something. If we understand the fear of God, that God is my constant companion, you know what? It not only keeps me from doing things that may not, he may not like. Guess what? It's such a comfort to know he's constantly my companion. Constantly. Jeremiah 29, 11, we've all memorized it. You know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. He's not out to get you. He wants to give you a future and a hope. Another translation says he wants to give you an expected end. Jeremiah 29, 11. God's plan, and Paul says, Timothy, you know what my purpose in life is. My purpose in life for the last 40 years has tried to be to please God. Have I always made the mark? No, but I want to tell you something. Any time in that 40-year period, if I would have died, I had no question that I'd spend eternity with Jesus. Have I done everything right? No. But guess what? I am pressing on towards the mark. I'm forgetting what lies behind. The second thing Timothy says in that verse, you know my faith, my patience, my love, and my endurance. How many would love at the end of your life to say, kids, grandkids, church, you know my love, my patience, my endurance, my, my love for God. How many think that's a great statement to make? This is Timothy. His, Timothy was raised by a Jewish mom and grandmother. We don't know what happened to his father. He might have died or he's out of the picture. He might have been Greek and just totally let mom and grandma do what they wanted to do. But the boy was raised in a Jewish faith. Then he came to faith, and Paul became his dad in the faith. 
And he's saying, Timothy, my son, listen, you know what I've done. You know my life. But he makes a statement called endurance. I have people all the time say, God's punishing me for my son. I know he is. He's just out to get me. The best definition for endurance is this. It means called under. It's raining outside. You put your umbrella up. If you don't have your umbrella up, guess what happens? You get wet. Follow me? You put your umbrella up. You're under God. God says, Gary, stay under that. What's my tendency? Run. Right? Run. It's pressure. It's endurance. Guess what my lifetime scripture is? 2 Timothy 2.4. Timothy, endure hardship like a good soldier of Jesus Christ in order that you may please the one who's enlisted you. My dad was in the military. You don't have a lot of say sometimes. They tell you to jump, you say, how high? Right? But endurance is to come under. And when we come under... It's like this. If I want to get wet, God lets me get wet. Follow me? If I want to get wet, if I want to be that stupid in the storm and get wet, I can run from what God is doing. But if he's asking me to come under, I'm staying under what he's doing. I have his protection. So it's not that God's out to get you. God says, choose life. I put life and death in front of you. Choose what's good. Choose life. And Paul says, I've endured. It's a theme throughout both books of Timothy. Then he says in verse 11, you know how much persecution I suffered and how I endured. There's that word again. But, I love this, but God rescued me from it all. And then he makes a statement that's very popular in the church today. Yes, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution and be made to wear masks. Right? Isn't that the persecution we're suffering? We're made to wear masks. Paul's about ready to lose his head. I'm not saying, I, I love wearing them too. It's awesome. I love breathing my nasty breath after being awake for like six hours. It's just incredible. You know, I spray it with stuff. I even take mints so I can breathe mints, but that only lasts so long. But anyway, if we put in context what God asked Paul and what he may be asking us, I'm not diminishing what is taking place. I'm just concerned as our, in our world is with every, the racial tensions, with the strife, with everybody not liking each other, with by November 4th, guess what? Half of this nation, no matter who's our president, is not going to be happy. That's the truth. But I trust a sovereign God. If Paul doesn't mention Nero once, if Jesus doesn't mention Caesar once, Except give unto Caesars what Caesars. Guess what? I can trust him in my life with what's going on in my government. I can trust him in my situation. I see people getting so uptight about, whoa, we are living in the last days. What I want to focus in, we know how to live in the last days. We don't deny the existence of what happened. We trust a greater God to do something in our life. That's the theme of chapter 3. But so many Christians are living in the first nine verses, we forget the last, you know, verse 10 on. Persecution, 
it, it always has amazed me as a believer, and I'm in my 60s, that we somehow think that as a nation and as, as Westerners, we're going to escape being persecuted, whatever that means. And yet, all of the Christendom, look what's going on in China right now. Look what's going on in Iran right now. Look what's going on, and our brothers and sisters are suffering for their faith, and yet we are complaining about mass. Can I say that? Let's put it in perspective, church. Let's ask the Lord what He wants to do. But the, the, the key is not being persecuted. Listen to this. Paul says, but he delivered me from them all. And yet he's sitting in prison about ready to die. Why is he saying God delivered them from the, from the, me from them all? Because he's not focusing on his life. He's focusing on the fact that God's doing something different in his life. Nero, Vespasian, Titus. Domitian, then Trajan. My goodness. They were brutal to the church. Mao and under his reforms in the 40s and 50s were brutal to the church in China. Stalin, what he did, the purge in Russia, made Hitler look like a choir boy. True story. Understand world history. Understand the context of what Paul is preaching. But then he says this, but you know what I have taught is true. Why does he know that? Because you know you can trust who taught you. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. I was raised in a Christian home. They tried their best. There's no perfect parents, but guess what? There's no perfect kids. We all are a mess, and that encouraging. But the fact is, what, what Paul is saying, if you, have, if you didn't have a Christian childhood, start now. Start now. Start a legacy now. Start something different now. Start doing something now. My wife and I have been married 41 years. We put a, a line in the sand and said, it's, it's hard sometimes to be married, but we, she had divorce in her background, so we're not going to follow that. We're not going to do that. We're not going to walk there. Why? Because we're holier than thou? No. I'm just telling you, do something now. Believe in a second and third and fourth and fifth generation should the Lord tarry. That somebody can say, I serve God because my grandfather served God. I serve God because my dad served God. I serve God because my friend served God. That's what Paul is talking about here. He's saying from childhood, Timothy, you know the way you were raised. You know what I have spoken into your life. You know it. And I want to tell you something. You serve God very long, and you know in your knower that you know that you know God is true, and these things are true. If somebody bursts through the door right now and said, deny Jesus or you'll die, you say, I don't know if I could do that. You know why? Because nobody's burst through the door and asked you that question yet. It's the truth. God gives you grace to go through what you are asked to go through. And we look at things and I don't know if I can do that. God hasn't asked that of you. You look at some people's life and as a parent they bury a child or as, as, as a young person they bury a parent. And you go, I don't know how they walk through that. God didn't ask you to walk through that right now. You follow me? Grace comes when God asks you to go through trial. Grace comes. And how does grace come? Lord, help! 
That's how grace comes. He says he gives grace to the humble. The humble is help. And sometimes that's all you need to say. Lord Jesus, help. Come in. Do something in my life. Help. Consistent, daily study of the Scripture will form your character and form your understanding of what's going on. I always challenge people. There's 96, everybody look at me, 96 15-minute periods in a day, 96 of them. Give one in the Word. Give one. You still have 95. No, you'll have 94. Just give another 15 to sitting before the Lord, asking Him to interpret what you just read in your daily life. And if you do that, your life will be marked for eternity. It'll be marked for future generations. It's not that difficult. 15 minutes a day, you can read through the entire Scripture. Paul tells Timothy this, all Scriptures God breathed. Guess what? He didn't have any of the New Testament yet. Guess what was God breathed? He probably had the Pentateuch. He had the books of Moses. He had the books of David. He had the prophets. People sometimes say to me, I can't read the Old Testament. Guess what? Paul is telling Timothy, the Old Testament's God breathed. What you don't understand, shelf it, put it away. Guess what? Five years later, God will bring in some clarity to that. It's happened over and over and over again. You know why I know these are true? Because I've lived them and seen God perform they are true. I know they're God-breathed. His breath is all over this Scripture. I heard once that the Word of God is pregnant, constantly giving birth to new revelation. That's why you can read the text 10 times and find 10 different things that God is speaking to you. That's why when the word is being proclaimed, you over here are getting one thing. You over here are getting something else. You're getting something else. You're getting something else. Why? Because the Spirit of God is deciphering and discerning what you need and depositing that in your heart. That's the word of God. If we live like that, guess what happens? It teaches us right from wrong. And it mends our hearts because the word equip means to put back together, to mend, where God weaves things. You know why I trust a sovereign God? Listen to this. Pastor Greg came to the church I pastored in Washington when he was 15. We have been friends for 30-some years. Friends, colleagues, I was his boss, now he's mine. Whoop-de-doo. But God weaves people's lives together and he weaves the story of Scripture together that we can stand and say, God, I know the difference between right and wrong and I know you've mended my heart. Why? Because I've been in the text and I've been in your presence. That's vintage right there. Sorry, Lord, dropped your Bible. <laughs> this is just black ink on white pages if you don't have the Spirit of God discerning it in your life. But as what happens, it just becomes part of your breath, your breathing, the way you live. Why? Because you've taken the text, sat before God, had him interpret it in your life, and apply it to your daily schedule. That's the Holy Spirit working in your life. And if we focus on that, let the last days come. Let November 4th come. If we focus on the last part of 2 Timothy, Paul is saying, you know, Timothy, you know in your hearts, you know 
what I'm doing. And guess what? You may know something that I don't know. That's okay. We'll work it out. And let's keep serving Jesus. Amen.